0: Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Vale. I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst. Well, Samuel, we had to wait nearly three weeks, really, for a United game, and then we got that. United won, Leicester won at Old Trafford at the weekend. Instead of sparking a top, flight, a top four revival, it sort of just sparked fresh debate about how deep-rooted the issues really are at Old Trafford. You were there. What was the atmosphere like? I mean, Gary Neville said afterwards that it was just boring, really. And how about
1: you? Did you keep entertained or? Well, well, I I was very envious of you, Rich, given the uh, the, the day you had out of Wrexham on Saturday, since in that chit 90th minute winner that took them to the what was it the FA Vars Trophy final or FA
0: Trophy final? FA
1: Trophy final. That's that's the, the one. big one. Indeed, indeed. There's there's a club with American owners who care, who come to the games, who are on side with the supporters, who have a good connection with supporters, and, and the club are going places as well. So, that uh, there's there's one red team in the in the north of Britain who are who are on the right track. But but Ty, actually, our colleague, he was he sat next to me, and he was saying like during the international break, you're longing for it to be over. You come to match day covering United, and then you get you get that. And it was just so familiar. It's it was like watching them on repeat. What what Gary Neville said was absolutely right. Um, I mean, the way I feel just covering United at the moment, it's like a cross between the the, the run of the 2018-19 season and the run to Louis van Gaal's final season, and that the football is as pretty, you know, similar to Van Gaal really, not many not many wins, not many defeats, but a hell of a lot of draws and not really going anywhere. And of course, the, the denouement to Solskjaer's first season, his first months, was was pretty disastrous with some some dreadful results. And they won two of their last 12. But at least you had a Champions League quarterfinal against Barcelona to look forward to. With Van Gaal, you had a cup run, which ended triumphantly with the FA Cup. So there was always something to, to play for after the March internationals. Although United do have something to play for, I don't think anybody thinks they're going to get fourth. They're even below West Ham now. The six teams above them, they all deserve to be above United. There's there's no two ways about it. And there was just a chronic lack of intensity about the performance on Saturday. I'm sure we'll get into the tactical side of it soon enough. But they were fortunate to draw. Um, I, I said to, to a colleague during the game as well, um, you know, I'd, I'd quite like to see Harvey Barnes at United. I think he'd be a logical signing. I'd like to see James Madison at United. Um, he's he's been brilliant for for quite some time now. He's come over that difficult period he had under Brendan Rodgers. The, the full-backs for Leicester, yeah, certainly I I'd, I'd probably take either of of Leicester's back, uh right backs over United's right backs in in James Justin and, and Ricardo Pereira. Uh, they've they've got really good midfielders. Uh, I, I think if Jamie Vardy was available, fit and firing, then then United might have got beaten at the weekend. And they were slightly fortunate not to not to lose that game. Rangnick was attempting to put a positive spin on it after t- suggesting that United had had uh, deserved a draw. I, you know that they, they got the draw. You, you can you can argue about that all day long. But coming away from it, you just thought that that they, they they got let off the hook there a little bit against a team who. Although they are resurgent again, they they've not had a particularly good season. Um, but maybe we've all been a little bit unfair on Brendan Rogers with the injury issues Leicester have had. And it's it's a pity for him in that if maybe they hadn't had those injury issues and if they were performing at a level consistent mm. with recent seasons, he would still have to be in the running for the United job. It's just because Leicester's form has been so so poor for pretty much the whole season domestically that he's, he's he's just not a credible candidate for that that role anymore. But he would certainly, you know, there, there are a lot of things that he would improve at United.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think even in his sort of motivation now, it's to prove that maybe the next time another elite job does, does come available, that he, he is definitely someone to be considered for, except like for United this summer. It probably won't work in terms of the moments and the sliding doors, et cetera. But I know, we said on last week's podcast, do not we, that one well, those Luke Shaw comments saying he was smiling when he's away with England. You can probably understand why he's not smiling when he is with United. In terms of the actual performance then, Samuel, I mean, team selection, I mean, considering that Cavani and Ronaldo are both unavailable, the, the options were limited with what Ranick could actually do. But Rashford, I mean, I know we have to get onto him, but what do you make of that? Because he's low on confidence. Ranick says that part of the reason he didn't play was because you know he, he has got those confidence issues at the moment. He hasn't been good all season. You can't ignore that. But then put him on the bench again when there's no other strikers available, surely he's just going to make the matters worse.
1: I thought he him starting was a given, particularly after it emerged Friday night, that Ronaldo wasn't in the squad. I, I'd have started him with with Ronaldo when we did our panel teams. Uh, I, I had him with, with Sancho and, and Ronaldo in the front three. When it was confirmed that Ronaldo was unwell, uh, Ty and I were discussing, well, that, that pretty much makes that team nailed on, maybe apart from in midfield, where we were wondering, would it be McTominay or or, um, or Matic? And in the end, he went with McTominay, which I also think was a mistake. But Rangnick was quite open about it in that he said that he he had decided to play with Ronaldo. So he went from going to play with a focal point, like an actual striker, to not playing with the striker whatsoever. And we all know Rashford is not a sense forward um, That's been proven... Through the years, and you know he's, he's he's better from from the left wing when when he was playing well there, but he has at least got experience of playing up front, and he could have given United that focal point with Fernandes playing there. That was just an experiment that was destined to to fail. It, it wasn't the same as it was the same front six again that played against City last month, but they didn't set up in the same way, and it, even the relative success, if you can call it that, against Manchester City. Still ended with them two one down at half time. In the second half, it was a complete non-event as far as United's tactics were concerned, and there was a major drop off in the performance. But Fernandez just didn't have any. There was no discipline to the way he played. Uh, he he came, he withdrew so so deep, and it was almost as if he would withdraw. He'd get the ball, and hopefully Alanga or Sancho would be playing on the shoulder of the last man, and they'd be played through. But Leicester just could see it coming every time, and there was one intended pass where. I think he was intercepted, but Lange was well offside anyway. He had a poor game. Sancho had a poorer game. But Fernandez is was a real, real disappointment, but not surprised because he's been playing too often like that all season. You You just somewhat hoped pessimistically that he would actually get his game going again after getting a, a massive salary hike. was just the same old, Um, and and you know he got dug out a little bit by Rangnick afterwards for jumping out the challenge that led to Leicester's goal. And in the season where United fans have mainly scapegoated Harry Maguire, um, you know, Fernandez is never going to get scapegoated just because that section of the fan base is also a section of the fan base that like this dreadful term goal contributions. And Fernandez numbers, isn't it? Pure numbers, basically. he's, He's got a few goals this season. He's got. 13 assists, I think it is. So he's not going to get too much dip, but his performance level this season has been unacceptable, and that's why I thought it was just daft, really, the timing of this contract renewal by by year. And lo and behold, he then goes and plays like he has played for most of this season. McTomney was really really sloppy. Uh, I mean, most of the midfielders were were really poor. Paul Pogba said the other week that. United season is dead. He then proceeded to play like the dead. Fred was probably the only one who came out of the game with any credit. You know, he sprung that opportunity for Fernandes. He got the equaliser. Um, There are a lot of elements about his game that are very admirable and very, um, very commendable. But the other midfielders were just dreadful. The the, the forwards didn't, didn't cut it at all. And I think both of them actually played out the game as well, which was maybe a surprise given that there were some options on the bench uh, beyond beyond just Rashford. But it was just, again, it's it's just very, it feels very, very repetitive. And when Rangniku has been brought in, you know, he's apparently renowned for his tactical acumen and he's making a, as basic a mistake as going from playing with a striker to not playing with a striker because of injury when he did have, you know, something of a centre forward available as, as bad as Rashford has been all season... Um, it's, it was just a very elementary error and pretty endemic of the way United have been all season.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it on the midfield as well. You can overlook Fred's shortcomings now just because of the effort he puts in and what he does bring to the team. You know, and like you said with others, that's maybe not as clear. I know this was discussed heavily last week anyway in terms of Bruno Fernandes, but you mentioned the the contract and obviously. The faith that you know United have put of him, you know, it is long overdue. Given, given how stellar that first season was, you know, he did deserve new terms. Like you said, the timing now maybe not rewarding him for for what he's done this season, but what he's done on past seasons. But going forwards. You know, now that he's got this wage increase as well, he has to play an integral role under the new manager. You'd see, you'd think, wouldn't you? Because you know that's that's what he signed up for. But what do you actually think that the best formation for him to be is? Do you think United are going to have to switch to a four-two-three-one to get the best out of Fernandes going forward, or because he just doesn't seem to really cut it in any other formation?
1: I was interested that Rangnick said afterwards in, in his briefing w- with a, with um, uh, the, the daily journalists like myself and others for the the ten thirty embargo last night, and he said about there are too many technical players in the United squad, not enough physical players. I would argue that there aren't enough technical players. They they might purport to be technical players, but they're nowhere near the level required where you can say outright that player is a technically proficient player. And I'd probably even consider, um, sorry, include Fernandez in in that collection of players, in that he he's all about taking risks. Somebody who was watching the Portugal games um, only watched the first game against Turkey. I didn't see the uh, North Macedonia one, but I think it was his performance in in the first one. Um, an observer of Portugal's matches said how important jao Moutinho is to the team, because Fernandez, the amount of times he lost the ball was. Yeah. I mean, it was striking even for him and Moutinho obviously is in there not to give the ball away and you've got a happy medium there and obviously it's worked for Portugal to a certain extent and, and Moutinho's uh, I mean he's quite a he's getting on a bit and he has been for a while but he's still very um a, a very proficient football and he's still cutting it in the Premier League as well with Wolves but United don't seem to have that 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 telepathy in there even though Fred at times you know he, he certainly does bail out teammates and he can make teammates look better as well, I'd say. But Fernandes is all about taking risks. It's more often than not, it is hit and hope. Sometimes there will be, not sometimes, a lot of the time there's there's genuine skill <laughs> to it. Like when he picked out Ronaldo for the first goal against Atalanta with the back hill and there have been yeah. others this season where you think that's that's brilliant. Like the, I think it was the, the banana pass for, for Ronaldo against young boys mm. and there are probably others that... You think, think about.
0: Marshall one against City in the Derby where he chips the free kick. Yeah, quickly, he chips it over. It?
1: Yeah, exactly. Very, very innovative. So that that stuff is technically brilliant, but it's also spontaneous. when when Rangnick talked about technical um, technical players, one of the names that was mentioned to him by by James Ducker, our colleague, was Bernardo Silva. Now that guy is a technical player all day long. He dribbles, he passes, he creates. Kevin De Bruyne is Phil Foden is. Fernandes doesn't have that skill set that they all have. He's He makes something happen out of nothing. He creates something out of nothing. That's what he's done for most of his time at United. And the ends justify the, have justified the means for, for the large part of that. But he arguably, under a different coach, he would be deemed unsuited unsuitable for, for their formation, potentially. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that somehow if Ten Hag was to come in you could see a scenario where Fernandez is not a regular in the United team, which sounds daft, but you I don't think I just don't I think that is that is somewhat foreseeable. A lot of things would have to happen to get to that mm. to get to that um uh state that United were in. But I don't think it's beyond the realms of of possibility. I mean you know, it's it's a strange dichotomy where you've got this consultant talking about physicality and you've got too many technical players and then Ten Hag is coming from a league where it's not particularly physical. It's more renowned for developing technical players. Now, if you go back to Van der Beek's second half against Watford in November, that had probably the perfect blend of silk and steel in that he got a goal. he, He played some very um fine passes he put Ronaldo through when he should have scored to make it 2-2 and he also sent Ismail Assar off injured with a I mean he crunched into him he didn't get booked for it. it wasn't a foul but that was a player who was who was mixing it up but that you know van der Beek is he was discarded by United pretty much because they think he's lightweight and he had to put on muscle mass to try and get into Solskjaer's good books in pre-season it still didn't work so there's a hell of a lot for United to to mull over where you've got Rangit saying this and then you've got them probably, possibly going with a coach who's coming from a league where it's all about total football. It's you know I mean Frankie Diong is, is is still pretty wayfish at Barcelona and I know he's playing in a in a very technically minded league in, in La Liga and it's it's very different in the Premier League. But again it's 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 a very interesting dynamic if they do go down the Ten Hag route.
0: Again, you mentioned that in terms of technical players. I mean, from my personal point of view, three of the players leaving this summer, Pogba, Lingard, Matter, they're probably three of the most technically gifted players at the club anyway. So that, that already sort of small, small amount of technicality that you've got is going to diminish again. And like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in regards to the new manager. And I guess that's why everyone is listening, isn't it, Samuel? They want to hear what is the latest. I mean, every time you send a tweet, you will be bombarded with 10 hard latest, 10 hard question mark what is the latest then? You've reported today that United dressing room is maybe split on the prospect of him becoming Ajax's coach. I mean, if it was decided by an online poll, he'd already be coronated when he is the United manager. And I've sort of noticed this myself, that it seems that Ten Hag's achievements are maybe being amplified by social media supporters and it's Pochettino's achievements are the ones that are being sort of diminished by and, and written off by online readers. Um, what have you made of the manager search and what is the latest
1: on it? I think you've you've summed it up quite well there, and that Ten Hag has achieved laudable um, things with Ajax. But there's there's an awful lot to put into context, such as their Champions League performances in recent seasons, going out the group stage two years running, going out to Benfica in the last sixteen when Benfica were possibly the second weakest. Maybe I'm being a bit kind to of United, their second weakest team left in in the last sixteen after after Sporting Lisbon. Yeah, winning the Eredivisie and the, and the KMVB Cup. okay, it's, It is impressive, but it's still it's a massive leap to go from Ajax to United. But he is the front-runner. The United like the cut of his jib. He would probably be a more compliant coach than Pochettino. Pochettino has got it in him to cut loose, as he did a couple of times when he was at Tottenham, when he was getting frustrated over issues with Daniel Levy. And you, know, you kind of cross Daniel Levy at your peril if you're Tottenham manager. But Pochettino had a, warm relationship with him up until a certain point and and just I think Pochettino's aura in the last few years has been diminishing going back to his his final couple of seasons at, at Tottenham that Tottenham team that he assembled probably peaked in 2017 Um the, the next year they they lost in the FA Cup semi-final to United I think they finished thir- I think they finished third in the league so they dropped down slightly in the Premier League and then the Champions League runs the final the next year was somewhat freakish and also it, it completely masked some dire domestic form as well and again United are looking at a coach who's coaching in a league that people don't really give the time of day to because everyone expects PSG to win it every year so now that he I mean he has already won a trophy with PSG but when he wins League 1 as well even those who've always said that he needs to win a trophy are going to be quite dismissive of it because yeah. it's it's only Liga. 1. I, I would still probably overall argue that Pochettino is more suitable for United than than Ten Hag. He he's wanted that United job for a long, long time. It was mainly United's fault that he didn't get it, and that they you know they kept Solskjaer. Then when Solskjaer was on the rocks two or three times, they didn't follow through with their uh, approach to Pochettino, particularly last season. And then in in November, PSG pretty much stood in his way. Um, that was a interesting slide indoors moment because I think if PSG could have turned back the clock, they probably would have taken the compensation from United and got Zinedine Zidane in because as, as limited as Zidane is as a coach, it would be difficult to envisage him you know, overseeing a, a scenario where PSG are 2-0 up with 29 minutes to play in a round of 16 tie that they somehow end up losing 3-2. He, he did His game management in those knockout matches with Real Madrid was extremely impressive. But going back to the story that I've done today, um, you know, speaking to, to people who know the players or are close to the players, there are some that see it as a win-win situation if Ten hard comes in. There are some that find the prospect of him coming in as underwhelming. Uh, a lot of us wrote back, I think it was about two months ago, that there was a hell of a lot of support for Pocatino among the United players. And at that time, I think Pochettino was very much the the favourite, but there has been a shift in the last three or four weeks. And as I wrote in my follow-up today, if if there are United players who are unsure about Ten Hag, then that's another reason <laughs> to appoint him because United have been pandering to these serial underachievers far too much in the last four years. Look where it's got them.
0: Exactly. And in what other industry do you choose your boss I, yeah. mean, do you know what I mean, Absolutely. you mean they've just got to deal with that, haven't they? If someone comes in and wants to be ruthless, they need that. And again, I know it's a tedious sort of debate, but at least at Arsenal, Mikel Arteta has been able to mould the squad as he wants to because yeah. he sees players, part of his vision going forward. And at United, like you said, they just want to keep everyone happy for, for as long as they can, really, and always act like it's the manager's fault and, and not the playing, the, the actual players. Um, and sort of another interesting caveat on that, than Samuel, I mean, it looks, I would say it looks, it seems certain that I will miss out on Champions League football this season. Of course, we'll maybe touch on that that race or whatever we have to call it and do the tedious look at the table again. But do you actually think that Ten Hag would have the appeal to be able to get the right sort of players to join a team who don't have Champions League football this summer? Of course, you know, when United missed out on it in 2016, they did buy Paul Pogba, but they had Jose Mourinho, who, you know, at that time, no matter what you think of now, was an elite manager. Um Three years ago, now 2019, when they didn't have Champions League football, Solskjaer could only attract Leicester's Harry Maguire, Swansea's Daniel James, and Crystal Aaron Wan Bissaka. Do you think Ten Hag has enough of a reputation to actually be able to attract high-caliber players this summer?
1: The, the way Rangnick is talking now, it's almost as if that they will issue those those high-caliber players, or certainly those name players, which was also Solskjaer's intention in that first summer. Uh, the, the, Going back to 2019, what they wanted to do was was quite laudable. It was you know going for players who were really invested by the prospect of playing for Man United. They were buzzing at the uh, opportunity to go there, and then of course, okay, the pandemic happened, so that that does change things. But clearly, the profile of player did change quite drastically um, that that next summer with players like I mean, Van der Beek was just an opportunistic signing. He wasn't. Yeah first choice or second choice, which was an immediate red flag because Solskjaer, it's a strange thought process, but Solskjaer didn't like the prospect of um, countenancing a third choice target that was available to him. But Ajax offered van der Beek. United said, yes, it seemed that was a very good deal for everyone concerned, as long as the manager played him and then he just didn't play him. Cavani, you know, everybody knew. United didn't even conceal the fact that that was an opportunistic deal um, because they realised that Odinigalo was redundant and they did need another striker and Cavani served his purpose to an extent last season this season it's been a disaster and then you go off the most recent summer and apart from Tom Heaton all three of them were were name signings Varane has won four Champions Leagues and the World Cup Jadon Sancho hasn't won a lot in his club career but he's a player that United have liked for a long time and certainly it, it, it made sense to go for him and then you've got Ronaldo's the greatest goal in the In the game's history. So, in the end, they just regressed to pretty much Louis Van Gaal's first summer of of getting Radmel Falcao and and Angel Di Maria. Um, I I think they've got to try and see it as just use it to their advantage if or when they don't qualify for the Champions League and just use that as a way of rebuilding a squad where you've got players. I mean, Rangnick talked about players who see it as a progressive step. For their career, going to United, um, who, who are a little bit younger, which is similar to 2019, but go for very, you know, just essentially better players. Because what they did in 2019, the difference then was that there was this rather peculiar emphasis on the preference for British players, and of course, the three that came in are, are all British players. The three that came in, neither of that, none of them have been successes. Daniel James was sold in August. Aaron Wan pasaka was okay last season he's been dreadful this season maguire's had a dreadful campaign as well but i wouldn't say as a lost cause necessarily I, I still think he shouldn't be united captain next season but we, we, we've not measured him yet but he actually played quite well on saturday <laughs> so they do need to they need to finesse that outlook on it and of course it's got to be different because starscale's not there anymore mike phelan who assists him in the recruitment in 2019, is, is still there remarkably, but you'd be surprised if he is still there beyond June 30th. And I, I mean, the interesting thing Rangit said on, on Friday, he actually, um, he mentioned Arsenal unprompted about how they've used no Champions League football, no European football to their advantage as far as recruitment is concerned, whereby I think they signed six or seven players in the summer and the the biggest fee was 50 million for for Ben White which seemed quite steep but that's the going rate of a the of a center back who's premier league um, who's got premier league experience and is suddenly an england international as well and was under quite a long contract at brighton but the other signings have been have been pretty smart and arsenal are an unrecognizable club from the first month or two in the season and the, the manager has total authority there they've they've got five or six players where you could see them having the makings of a serious team as well mm. um you could still make that case for united in the right hands and the right recruitment but they the fact that they've actually fallen quite a way behind arsenal as far as recruitment is, is concerned performances are concerned as well is is extremely worrying uh, because Arsenal have been in a in a state for, for for quite a while, but it almost seems like United and them take it in terms to out embarrass the other.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, it just makes you wonder and and realise that whoever takes the task maybe isn't going to beat it sort of launch an immediate title challenge but it's going to be another two three four year process of trying to be the best of the rest and then looking to pounce whenever city or Liverpool should falter if if indeed they do you know it's not going to be that immediate fix Samuel, again, going maybe full circle now back to the game. It, it did sort of boil over. Tempers got heated on Saturday. The fans who weren't half asleep and bored to death, you know, voiced their anger at, at the bench. And in particular, there was a bit of a row with Darren Fletcher.
1: Yes, there, there is a video online that a, a fan took and, and posted, so it wasn't like I was completely making it up or anything. Sometimes you, I, I don't, I don't look at re- replies, but I can imagine you've got idiots online who probably doubt anything that anyone says. Uh, but it, it happened after the Leicester goal, and I just, I was drawn to the attention of about three high vis jackets uh, down below that had come had, had cobbled together, and then there was a guy stood up in a in a hoodie who was shouting at Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher was giving some back. Um, in the end the fan left and was followed out by stewards. There were some supporters applauding. I don't know if they were applauding the supporter for having a go um at, at the United bench or for the decision by the stewards to to eject him. But that that's been coming. That 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 happened in the Moyes season. Um, Moyes started copping some flak, I think during the, the 3-0 defeat by City at Old Trafford, um, this, this season, the way it's going, it it could be worse than the Moy season. Um, that there's, that, that's just been, you know, Ty Ty said to me coming out of the stadium, after the Atletico game, how draining it is covering United. And, And it is draining, but in a way that is just also quite numbing or stultifying because we've seen so many draws recently, um, you know, just either have a really good win or just get be- beaten well and soundly, <laughs> you know, just bo- you know, bottom out like they did against Liverpool at home, um, because then you can get your teeth stuck into that. The- these draws are, you know, it's just quite tedious for everyone concerned. And-, and Gary Neville is right. A lot of people are just bored by it. Um, you know the, the the United supporters in the the southwest section of the ground made a, a good noise again on on Saturday, and they've been one of the few positives this season. But in other areas of the crowd, it was just apathy. And even at full time, there weren't. I, I, I don't think there were many boos, if, if any any, uh, boos at full time. Mm-hmm. Just because it's like, well, that's that's another it's <laughs> another afternoon loss. We've we've seen that that film already this season. Let's let's go home and. We'll go to the pub and drown our
0: sorrows. Yeah, it is like that like Grand Forth Auto meme, isn't it? Here we go again uh, with, <laughs> yeah. with the, the curse taken out there. But, you know, it just feels like the club and the supporters are just going through the motions now, aren't they? Just waiting for the clock to finally tick and they can just start again at the end of the season. You know, maybe as promised, there's hope of a clean slate, but whether that actually happens or not it remains to be seen. Speaking of boring, tedious subjects, and Samuel, I did mention the top four race. United seventh oh. in the table now. I mean, there might be a way for Ronaldo to market that in with his brand. You know, CR 7th might might catch on. Who knows? Um, United's hopes of European qualification at the end of the season. Is there any way whatsoever you could see them having this resurgence? I mean, we said, didn't we, before, I think before the game this weekend, uh, last weekend, sorry, that United had these three games coming up against Leicester, was it Norwich and and Everton, and they'd have to win all three to have any chance of top four. Whether they would, none of us backed them to do it. They've <laughs> fallen at the first hurdle. <laughs> I mean, where do you actually think United will finish? Are there any teams you think they will finish above? I mean, West Ham have always, to me, sort of been represented in a false light all season. I don't think they've ever quite actually been a top four team, just the way the games have fallen. And they've always seemed to, it's always been far too early in the season to judge the table properly, or they seem to have played three or four games more than anyone else. Anyway, so United's fifth or sixth best team in England this season then? Do you think they will get top four or do you think that is completely out of the window now?
1: No, I I the moment Rangnick was appointed, I didn't think they'd get top four. I thought the interim experiment was was just doomed to fail. Um, you know, you, you, especially covering the club for for the MEN, you, you try and and be you know be a bit more upbeat about it, and you look at how you know how, how interesting his career has been, and. Uh, you, you try and extract yeah. positives, and his his introductory press conference was was impressive. And you thought, okay, this this is potentially an exciting appointment, even though it's only on an interim basis. Uh, but it's unravelled quite quite quickly, really. And it's not unravelled in a particularly disastrous way either. It's just been a, a slow death, really. Uh, just yeah, I think they've got 15 goals and 13 games at Old Trafford under Rangnick, which is. It's something that you know is the kind of statistic you'd have got during Van Gaal's um, year, uh, second season. I'd have imagined, and yeah, uh, nobody's got any faith in them going on a winning run. Uh, Le- Leicester are, are a good side. You don't expect United to just you know, steamroll of them, but you don't expect United to steamroll of, uh, past Norwich next week either. They they drew nil nil with Watford um, not not so long ago. I don't think it's being pessimistic just to say, going to Everton on Saturday, you can see Everton winning because it's Goodison Park, it's Everton who are absolutely desperate for points to stay up. You've got United players who've been rumbled by the return of crowds this season. It would not be a surprise in the slightest if if Everton won that game, but it is a game that United should be winning, yet you look at their results against the team's down there this season, they were very lucky to win at Norwich. They got thumped 4-1 at Watford. They drew 1-1 at Burnley. So yeah. <laughs> it's 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 almost it's almost difficult in fact to actually pinpoint where the next win might come. There there is always as cynical as we are and I think we've been beaten into cynicism just by covering United really, not just this season but in in, in recent years. Um, you can always find a way of saying, "Well, that's a tricky one." Even Brentford at home, Brentford have just gone and put four past Chelsea in a very impressive win at the weekend. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't see a, I don't see United necessarily tailing off as badly as they did in in Solskjaer's first run in three years ago. But then again, it's 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 not it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they do have that kind of um flat finale where it becomes quite toxic again. And of course that season ended with you know Polper having a bit of a run in with some fans and, in the stretchful mm-hmm. end. And uh, I can easily see something like that happening again if if they even if they even bother with a, a lap of honour.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I guess maybe to be sort of devil's advocate as well, that it probably is kind of maybe a blessing in disguise that there wasn't that sort of false margin bounce under into- Raniac anyway, because it didn't paper over the cracks, you know, it's really amplified the, the issues that are at play and the issues that the new manager will have to solve when, when they come in and who knows what, what squad they'll have left sort of to work with ahead of next season, but they're going to have to maybe do what Solskjaer did and put the smiles back on faces again because they are just reserved for the international break at this at this rate, but yeah, we shall see. Like you said, we will be back later in the week, though, to look ahead to that game against Everton uh, at the weekend, not that Samuel's
1: probably made many of you excited for, for what lies ahead, but uh, yeah. <laughs> So how can we expect to do my utmost getting getting more uh, I don't know, writing more about Eric Ten Hag or, or trying to get as much as possible? Yeah. Yeah,
0: that that, that well, I, I was gonna say that then as the sort of final question to you. What can United fans expect this week? Do you think, I mean, Gary Neville speculated on social media that, you know, it might be a good PR stunt to sort of accelerate the managerial search even more, maybe even publicly put something out there, but can't personally see that happening. What What do you expect in the in the next coming days from United? No,
1: I I can't either. Uh, I've I've been quite consistent with this. An official announcement, I I think would would still be highly unlikely at at this point. Um, it, it doesn't suit Ajax. Ajax wouldn't be thrilled about that. They're going for. A domestic double. It's still quite tight at the top of the the Eredivisie. Uh, PSV dropped points at the weekend, but they were three 0 down and got a three three draw in the end. And it's it's only four points that they're behind Ajax. The teams face each other in the Dutch Cup final, so you've still got a scenario where Ajax could do another domestic double under Ten Hag, or they could they could win nothing this season, having gone out in the Champions League at the round of sixteen to a team that most people expected them be uh so I, I still would be surprised if there's an official announcement of some sort but i wouldn't be surprised if united have, have settled or or indeed secured um the next manager before the end of the season because clearly that's that's the intention holding these these interviews in in march during what what we describe as like a, a manager's transfer window during the march internationals and they are at least you know that that forward planning is is taking place. They've made that mistake in the past, certainly with, with David Moyes, where he pretty much didn't start work until July the first, and it really did show that summer. But there is some forward planning going on there. Um, but I think anything official would would, would be a surprise. I, I know Gary Neville. I, I did see that uh, that, that comment. At the weekend, but he—I think he even said—the first week of the March Internationals, he thought the manager would be announced the next week, and nobody, certainly, I didn't expect that to be the case, and and it wasn't the case. But United are—they are being a bit more, um, slightly more proactive in trying to spread positivity or positive news stories. Although that positivity pretty much ends as soon as they start playing their next match, unfortunately for them. (laughs)
0: <laughs> again you've sold it so well to us ahead of the weekend it's going to be a tough sell on the next podcast but <laughs> this is <laughs> what
1: this is what Man United post 2013 is all about really what it I, does along, to, I, along for the days where it is a lot more positive and uh, and what have you but yeah it, that's just the way it's going
0: well Samuel thank you very much for joining us on the Manchester's Red podcast today anyway
1: thank you Rich appreciate it
0: and thank you very much, whatever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.